a plastic water bottle takes 250 years to decompose. Think about how fast you drink that water and then how long it takes for that plastic water bottle to decompose. Welcome to Exploring Mind and Body with Drew Tadia. Drew is an expert in nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. And he wants to help you live a healthier, longer, and more active life. Now here's your host, Drew Tadia. Welcome to another edition of Nationally Syndicated Exploring Mind and Body. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our True Form Life community. We're coming at you with a brand new show. We appreciate whether you're listening on terrestrial radio across the country or as a podcast around the world. We certainly wouldn't be here without you. So stick around. We got all that coming up. This is Exploring Mind and Body. Naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host, Drew Tadia. Welcome to another edition of Nationally Syndicated, Exploring Mind and Body. We're super excited to have a brand new guest. So without further ado, welcome, Patty Michelle. Thanks. It's great to be here with you today. I am excited. We have lots going on. Did I pronounce your name right? You did. It had a little different spelling there. In which? Oh, Michelle, the, your last name. Yep. Yeah. And where is that from? It's from Egypt, actually. It's uh, it's Mikhail oh, uh, wow. in Arabic. And when my dad immigrated to America, he spelled it M-E-C-H-A-E-L and then decided to pronounce it Michelle to make it easier <laughs> for people to say. Okay. That's interesting, isn't it? Very cool. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me on your show. Yes, it's our pleasure. I love to jump into things right away. Why don't you take a minute to speak with our audience a bit? Let us know who you are and what you do. Sure. So uh, my name is Patty Michelle. I am a global public health specialist. And a lot of the work that I do is in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, focusing on the use of digital health tools to improve access to health services and information. And I'm also a middle grade fiction writer and the author of The Antidotes Pollution Solution. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Thanks for saying that title for me. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) Tell us about your book briefly. I I just want to know. I want to get into that throughout the interview, but tell me, tell us briefly what that's about. Sure. It is about a group of fifth graders who, after having uh, gone back to normal life post-pandemic, have identified a plastic eating bacteria experiment gone wrong that is making fish and kids sick. And so they formed the antidotes to stop the crisis before it uh, it gets really, really bad. And this is fiction or nonfiction? This is fiction. Uh, it, it started as a, uh, a joke between me and my then seven-year-old son about how we wouldn't be in such a horrible mess if kids were in charge of the pandemic. And <laughs> I love that. Into a a fun COVID-19 project and middle grade fiction book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This may be completely off topic, but how, how would it be better if kids would, uh, were in control a bit more? 
Sure. So I think what's interesting is that kids, you know, they love science. They also very deeply care about the issues that are impacting their lives and the world. And they want to make things better. They're very earnest. And they're also incredibly collaborative. They like working together. And um, one of my favorite lines in the book, uh, which came from a conversation with my son, is that no kid would ever let another kid die if there was something they could do about it. And so... So kids have not moved into this very sort of like individualistic world that I think a lot of grownups have now uh, embraced. They they very much uh, care about their own well-being, but also the well-being of their their fellow young people. Mm, this is so interesting. Okay. Um, let me think for a second. Okay. So let's take a step back. When does that ego stage change for kids when it's like, you know, I have a one-year-old at the time of this yeah. recording and um, <laughs> we haven't really got to the stage where it's mine and me, but I feel like from all of my friends, we we're late, we're late to the party. All of yeah. our friends have kids that are a bit older and you see them go through that egocentric stage of everything's mine. It's all about them. So when does that come? And then when does that leave? So it's more directed towards maybe humanity? Right. So, so I think, you know, in elementary school, there's definitely that more collective, um, approach and, and that collective mindset, um, because a lot of, you know, education is done in groups. It's done in, in joint problem solving and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, young people carry that on through into middle school. And, um, I think where some of the individualism starts to emerge and come up is, is in that transition to adolescence and, you know, the teenage years. And I think part of it is just that like so much is happening with young people physically, their bodies are changing and, and they become a lot more self-conscious. They become a lot more aware of who they are as individuals in the world. Uh, they care a lot more about what other people think of them <laughs> and their kind of image and, and all of that. But there's a real sweet spot, I think, in, among you know, elementary school and middle school uh, young people where they have not sort of made that shift yet into mm -hmm. that very sort of like self-centered, self-absorbed, um, and it doesn't happen to everybody. I mean, I think what we'll likely find is that um, collectively, if we can start to instill this sort of belief that we all need to work together to to solve problems and create a culture around that, that they may also be able to sort of carry that through into their uh, young adult and and adult life. Mm -hmm. Okay, so younger, like earlier on, two, three, I'm guessing is the is that would you call it the egocentric stage like ego me, me everything me absolutely i mean well when they're like little little right they they have that you know because it, it's more about survival but then once they start to go into like preschool and elementary school it's much more collective and and much more group orientation okay so then it's more about i think it's interesting you see that all the time about kids don't know like um gender race they're just playing with everyone which is absolutely incredible to me yeah no absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and they, they don't have, 
um, they're not sort of like as impacted by, um, you know, societal pressures, et cetera. So they don't have, you know, they, they can have that freedom to, you know, decide things for themselves right. and, uh, and interact with the world in a very different, in a very different way. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. I love watching them grow. Like they're so gentle and innocent and there's, it's like a blank slate and it's the first time in my life I've been around the, uh, uh, child that much. So it's, I've been paying more attention and I'm almost envious of like their, their innocence and their purity. And it's just amazing to watch them grow in such a natural state because when you're used to being around adults, like we're all jaded and scarred and, you know, and then maybe you were talking about the individualism that you're talking about later on in life. And it's more about yourself as opposed to the group communities. Absolutely. And, you know, and what we saw during the pandemic is that, you know, the individual and the focus on say like individual rights and, and, you know, me, myself, and I took center stage over, you know, addressing a public health challenge that, that really required everybody to not only take care of themselves, but also, you know, take care of each other. And, uh, and that's sort of where, you know, I got into the thinking around, you know, the antidotes pollution solution and, and sort of creating this like group of kids that, that could demonstrate what that looks like in a very unjaded or unencumbered way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us more about that. I want to know, I think we can, learn so much from kids. And if we were as adults, our own individualism or egocentric dism pushing on us on kids of listen to what I say, this is what you have to do. I feel like we could learn more from kids than maybe they could learn from us. (laughs) Absolutely. And which is why we, you know, we even started on this, on this journey is that we, we do have a lot to learn from, from kids and how they, they approach life. And so, so in the book, you have Gear, Izzy, and they, they're sort of dual narrators that take turns telling the story, both from a, a boy's perspective, as well as from a girl's perspective. And, and through their journey, as they try to understand the problem that's happening with this plastic eating bacteria, that's like releasing this toxin that's making fish and kids sick, they, you know, really demonstrate the importance of diversity in, in science and in in, in public health and and they apply sort of like a basic you know scientific thinking skills to understanding the problem but then also coming up with a solution and they enlist the help of their friends Olu uh, and Leo in creating a video game to get like other kids engaged in it and they leverage social media to get the world word out and and they really mobilize the sort of collective action to um, to get kids to test their water and understand, you know, what their water quality situation is like, and also to reduce their use of plastic, um, because that's what's causing the plastic eating bacteria to release as much toxin as it's releasing. And, and what are you hoping? Like, what what message are you hoping to portray when adults are reading this? Sure, I'm I'm hoping that uh, adults will, you know, will really appreciate that we're we're all better when we can, you know, 
take each other's health and well-being into account alongside our own and uh and and reinvigorate the spirit of of public health in everyday life and in society and and I say this because you know in the United States used to be the leader in in public health we were the first country to establish a center for disease control we eradicated malaria in you know in the country in the 19 you know, 50s and 60s, we eradicated polio, you know, we, we were sort of like the greatest generation, uh, you know, throughout history, you know, in, in public health, and then we're confronted with a once in a generation pandemic, and we lost the plot. (laughs) (laughs) It fell apart. <laughs> we we totally fell apart. We knew what needed to happen and and we did not do what needed to happen. And why do you think that is? And and I think part of it was, you know, I think there was a lot of miscommunication uh in the very beginning about you know, the severity of what was happening, um, as well as kind of like the basics of what we needed to put in place to make sure that it didn't spread as fast as it was spreading and that it didn't, you know, um, you know, hospitalize as many people as it would hospitalize. Um, I think there were a lot of missteps in the very early days around just being very clear in terms of what we were up against and what people needed to do um, that just didn't happen, unfortunately. And what do you think could be done in the future? We talk, I mean, I want to get back to the individualism and understanding um, what we can do as a collective and um, how can we work towards doing that in the future for whatever may come about? Well, you know, I think we need to one, you know, bring public health and even just basic, you know, public health thinking into uh, into schools and 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 really teach young people, like start from a young age and and really teach young people kind of like the basics of how to think about public health issues. Uh, I think we also need to invest in public health institutions and uh, as well as in, you know clear communication mechanisms uh, for engaging the public. And I think we need to build trust. I mean, I think one of the challenges that we see in public health is just that there isn't, there aren't trustworthy information sources and, and people aren't trusting what they're seeing because there is a lot of misinformation and disinformation that is being spread, you know, through social media and other channels. Um, and so I think there's a real need to to you know really think about how do we um you know very clearly communicate what's happening but also kind of build like almost like a philosophy of uh, of public health in the general population um because we are losing ground we you know we have clean water challenges throughout the world um in ways that we didn't have before because we used to invest you know in making sure that everybody had clean water, which is a basic, you know, kind of public health thing. Um, and now you have entire communities that are having to drink, you know, bottled water, which then contributes to, you know, climate challenges and, and all sorts of other stuff. And so, 
um, rather than dealing with the root of the issue, which is like, can we go back to having clean water? <laughs> mm-hmm. Why don't they have clean water? Um, a lot of it is uh, unchecked, um, you know, uh, corporate activity. So, so, uh, so water getting polluted by, um, you know, chemicals and, and other, um, uh, and other pollutants. Um, it's also, we have, you know, more waste than we know what to do with. And so there's a lot of trash that's being put into what otherwise had been, you know, preserved and clean waterways for, uh, for clean water consumption. Um, and we also don't have really good systematic, you know, testing and accountability for, uh, to protect our water, um, to protect our water sources. And, and I think that's another sort of important, you know, key consideration. Mm-hmm. So what can we do to reduce the, the waste, the plastic trash? What can we do? Sure. So there's actually uh, an, uh, an exercise at the end of, um, of the book, the antidotes pollution solution that encourages, uh, young people and families to, you know, in a very systematic way, um, count and measure your plastic use and try to identify areas where you can cut back on, on which plastics you use. Um, there are similar challenges that have been put forth around waste, um, and, and encouraging, um, you know, individuals to create less garbage by studying, you know, what are the sorts of things that you're finding and that you're putting into your, uh, into your trash that you can then, um, reduce and, and, and cut back or change your, you know, consumer behaviors, uh, et cetera. So going to, you know, the farmer's market, which doesn't use, you know, plastic bags or packaging, et cetera, for produce and buying your produce that way. Um, or even, you know, choosing, you know, paper-based packaging versus plastic-based packaging, um, Mm. because we know that paper is, is much more biodegradable. Um, and less harmful to the environment. Mm-hmm. It seemed like I'm a big fan of the environment and reduce, reducing plastic, avoiding plastic. It seemed like we were talking about the last few years here. It seemed like we went backwards in a big way when it comes to the environment from packages like plastic gloves, the masks, and I feel like the oceans have become overwhelmed with that extra trash that was being consumed. How do you feel that can be mitigated in the future? I mean, I think we do. I think, you know, the health sector is one of the major sectors that does contribute to, um, uh, waste and, and the, the climate challenges that we're facing. And, and I do think we need greater accountability and I think we need to, assess policies related to, you know, the use of, um, uh, of plastic and how those things are disposed of, um, in, you know, in a very systematic and structured way. I mean, I think we're seeing really, you know, I think there's both very positive movements towards climate as well as, you know, very negative movements towards climate. It depends on who, you know, who you're talking to or you're talking about and, 
And a lot of it has to do with, you know, putting into place, you know, policies and strategies to identify where the waste is coming from or, or, or how it's being created. And then, and then working towards dialing that back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such an interesting subject. It seems like, like those of us that really care, <laughs> I feel like we're fighting such an uphill battle. Um, like for us, like if, I mean, to get into specifics, like, or, or to really dive deep, we have this whole movement around electric cars and, and which is, which is great. Um, I'm a big fan myself personally, but then at the same time, and you look at, we, you hear these research studies around cobalt mining, for example, and how that's affecting the, the world globally. So I don't know if I have a specific question. It just seems like if one side, and I'm not, I'm, I'm an environmental person. I'm not saying there's nothing we can do, but it seems like it's so difficult. You have one part of the world that could care less. And then you have this part of the world that's like putting almost strict, more strict regulations, which may or may not be helpful depending on where you're sitting, but how can we come together to make an actual change? Well, and I think that's why we need to focus on young people because I, in many ways, the, um, and, and the parents of young people, right? So, and I think we're the ones that are going to care the most about what happens. Um, like in general, I think a lot of the policies that have been made, you know, and the, the very sort of active consumption culture of like the 1980s and maybe, you know, my parents' generation um, you know, sort of created this mess that we're in. And um, and although they are the policymakers of today, we are starting to see younger and younger people running for public office, which is exciting. Um, we're seeing more women running for public office um, of diverse backgrounds. And, uh, and I do think we need to kind of like shift (laughs) like the conversation and who's having the conversations and making the policies that are going to, um, that are going to impact future, uh, future generations. And there's all sorts of like climate anxiety now, um, among young people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, it's the responsibility of us as parents and as, you know, teachers and, you know, et cetera, to find ways to show them that there is something that, that we can all be doing to address the, the climate, the climate issues, um, so that it doesn't feel so kind of like overwhelming and, um, in hopeless. And, you know, and I, and I don't think it's hopeless. I mean, there was a recent report that was launched that, that demonstrated that, you know, yes, things are bad, but we still have, we have a critical opportunity and window to act and, and we need to, and we need like an all hands on deck approach to this. So, so how can that conversation be changed? Because right now it seems like mass media across the board is all about, I mean, they, they got, they would need their headlines, right? They need viewers. So it's all about uh, fear of climate change. So everyone's going crazy, panicking. That's obviously being pushed on the younger generation. So now we have something which we've never heard of before is climate anxiety or, or however you want to label that. 
So how can that conversation be changed? So there's not so much fear, but maybe more action or more, more, or better information around it. Yeah. I think, I think we need to get, I think we need to stop doom scrolling and start promoting kind of like positive messaging and optimism in, in, in different ways, because I do think we, in our media has created this like very negative feedback loop of an information environment that, that we exist in. And, and it's not all doom and gloom, you know, um, there's so much that is positive that is happening, uh, out there. And so I think it's important to, you know, ensure that we are communicating those things to young people so that they don't feel like things are hopeless and that they, that they do feel like that they can be optimistic and, and hopeful and that they, they have a role to play that it's not just, okay, I'm going to be the victim of whatever it is that has happened, uh, around me. But like, even as a, you know, a fifth grader or fourth grader, there is something that I can do, uh, to, you know, better understand what's happening in my world and do something about it. Mm -hmm. Give us some positives that's happening here so we could have some hope for our younger generations. So there was really interesting work that was done that, that showed that, um, you know, like the Paris climate accord and that there were a series of targets set in the Paris climate accord. And there was, you know, a point in time where the United States pulled out of the Paris climate accord, but in actuality, the United States was closer to achieving its targets for the Paris climate accord than, um, than anybody actually fully appreciated. And it was because the cities, even though the federal government was sort of piecing out on this, uh, cities and mayors of cities have taken a much more active role in addressing the climate issues in, you know, city by city. And, and a lot of states had also enacted, um, you know, policies that would, you know, help reach some of those, um, reach some of those targets in, uh, in a really meaningful way. And so, um, and then also entire countries that have, uh, you know, really, uh, taken on the, you know, the climate challenge and then, and then, you know, set forth for themselves, you know, massive targets to go carbon neutral, to, um, to really reduce waste and, and plastic, uh, consumption, et cetera. There was a wonderful policy that was enacted by the country of Kenya around no more plastic bags in, you know, anywhere. And, and they were going to go zero plastic bags. And, and they have, and they've done that. And it, you know, for one single plastic bag, it takes 25 years to decompose it. We use it for five seconds and then it, it takes 25 years to decompose a plastic water bottle takes 250 years to decompose. Think about how fast you drink that water Mm -hmm. and then how long it takes for that plastic water bottle 
to decompose. Okay. So before we wrap things up, is there anything else that you wanted to add? I just wanted to share that, you know, the antidotes pollution solution, you know, we developed it with the aim that it would be used um, in science classes. And so it has some science experiments. Uh, We recently created a classroom activity and discussion guide for cross-disciplinary learning in uh, in grades four through seven uh, between science and uh, and reading. Um, and you can access any information about both the book as well as, you know, get access to the free curriculum on my website, uh, www.patriciamichelle.com. Fantastic. All right. Well, that was going to be my last question, but it seems like you answered it for us. So um, that's the best place to reach you is to um, head over to your website and we can find out more details there. Yeah. And sign up for my newsletter. I send a newsletter out once a month, um, just sharing, you know, book news as well as resources for, uh, for STEM learning and, uh, and all that. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today to, uh, um, share your expertise with us and join us on exploring mind and body. Awesome. Thanks, Drew. You're welcome. All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Exploring Mind and Body. Once again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our True Form Life community. You can always find us on facebook.com slash trueformlife. We post up there a couple times a day on our story. We're always trying to bring you more content around living a healthy lifestyle, whether that be nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. We also have free challenges that we do at least once a month. So if you follow us along there, you'll be able to join maybe a plank challenge or a squat challenge, Tabata challenge, whatever it may be. We'd love to have you join us. We're also on Instagram.com slash Drew Tadia. Again, we're posting up there a couple times a day along with our story, all dedicated to keeping you fit and healthy and on track. Our main website is trueformlife.com. If you want to check out some of our products, some of our services, or if you just want some great content from videos to blog posts and recipes and more, we got all that at trueformlife.com. Once again, thank you so much for being here. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia, in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com.